If you happened to be around last week, you'd have heard Mike uh, doing a fantastic job finishing off our series looking at well-being, um, which I think has just been so timely for us as a community. And we've been looking together at the grace which God extends um, to the burnt out. We've been looking at how to rest. We've been looking at how to learn to live lives to the full uh, and care for our mental, uh, our spiritual, our physical, our emotional, and our relational well-being. Uh, And this morning, I want to kind of build on that uh, and follow up with a message that's going to form kind of part one of a two-part mini-series, I guess, that's kind of going to take us through the rest of the summer, um, all about different individuals uh, and their encounters with Jesus. And I've called this morning, uh, There and Back Again, uh, which for any Hobbit fans out there, uh, is not because the story we're going to be looking at um, has kind of dragons and magical rings and all that kind of stuff, as great as that would be, um, but because it does feature a rather unexpected journey, uh, a dramatic experience up a mountain, uh, and the reality of darkness in the valley. And so if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Mark uh, chapter 9. If not, it's going to come up on the screen behind me anyway. Uh, and we're going to be looking at verses 2 Uh, to 29 together, two kind of stories which are sometimes taken separately, but which I think are really good to hold together. And so Mark chapter 9, it says this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. And then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. And when they came to the other disciples, They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. 
How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. And there's quite a lot in that passage uh, to digest, um, including a fair few things that maybe wouldn't seem too out of place in Middle Earth. Um, But there are four things in particular uh, that I want to draw out from it this morning. And the first thing is that God wants us to go up the mountain. Second thing is, we're not meant to stay up the mountain. The third thing is that there are good reasons for us to come down the mountain. And fourthly, how do we do that? How do we come down the mountain well? And so the story kicks off with this incredible moment of revelation when Jesus invites the three disciples up the mountain and they see him as he truly is. They see him clothed in light, the curtain of normal life drawn back. Jesus revealed for who he really is. It's a mountaintop experience. And for all of us, we have those moments in our lives, which we might describe as our mountaintop experiences, moments that just break into the ordinary in a spectacular way. Holidays, for example, with a breathtaking view. Concerts, which just hum with the electricity of the atmosphere. Edge of the seats, sporting events, uh, where victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat. And it can feel like that sometimes in the Christian life, too. There are moments when God just seems much closer than normal, uh, whether that's when we go to a festival with thousands of others worshipping together, whether it's on a Sunday like we had this morning, whether we listen to something that really speaks to where we're at, whether we get out into the countryside and find a moment of, of peace and calm that just refreshes us. And I love those moments, and we love those moments because we're designed for experiences, God created a world full of things for us to experience. And he gave us bodies capable of enjoying them. And so we shouldn't be surprised that it was Jesus' idea to go up the mountain. It was Jesus who called his disciples together, who picked them out, who led them on the way. God wanted them to go up the mountain. And he wants us to go up the mountain too. He knows that we need those moments. 
that as we seek to live with well-being in every area of our lives, we need mental and spiritual and physical and relational and emotional mountaintop moments. And yes, we need to build healthy patterns into ordinary moments, but we also need to take hold of opportunities where we just step out of that, go up the mountain and see again the wonder of who Jesus is. And as we've seen throughout this well-being series, living well in every area of our lives isn't about forcing ourselves to believe that everything's great when it's not. It's not about every moment of our lives suddenly becoming amazing. It's not about kind of cutting out the highs and the lows and being left with kind of a a neutral, middle-of-the-road existence. It's about knowing well-being through Jesus in the midst of the highs and the lows. Walking with him throughout everything. And in order to do that, just like the disciples, it's important that we also get some protected time when we lift our eyes to him again, when we allow God to come and reveal himself as far bigger than we'd allowed him to become in our mind's eye. And I know that's true for me, that when I don't take moments to pause, as we say often in Oasis, to reset our perspective, I know that my view of God becomes smaller and dimmer and more distant as other things start to eat into it, other things start to crowd in, and suddenly God feels very small and very dim and very distant, and he's not. In amidst all of the other stuff of life, that's what we've allowed our perspective of him to become. I know I need to go up the mountain again at that point. I know that God wants me to go up the mountain too. He loves to come and fill our gaze again with a fresh sense of who he is. And the second thing I wanted to draw out is that this part of the story is that they go up together. There's a group of them. Adrian spoke a few weeks back about uh, another mountaintop experience uh, for Elijah when he was just kind of felt at the end of himself and God came and ministered to him and cared for him in all sorts of different ways. And it was a very private experience. And that can happen. But it can also happen that it's something we do in community, whether that is at a festival, whether it is on a Sunday, whether it's in a, a small group during the week. And I think both are really important. Life, as we see in the second part of the story, is hard. Paul writes uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that he and his companions felt like they'd received a sentence of death, but that it had happened in order that together they might come to rely not on themselves, but on the God who raises the dead. And that's why community is so important. God loves to encounter his people together. When we do it, it reminds us that the gospel, the good news that we have, isn't just for ourselves, it's for others too. Mike was talking about that just last week. As we draw near to God, we inevitably draw near to others because God loves people. And as we go up the mountain... As we do this, we get to take our eyes off ourselves and onto Jesus again. And we see him 
like we've never seen him before. The disciples thought Jesus was great. Up to this point, everything they'd seen, they thought he was great. Peter has already confessed him and they said, I believe you are the son of God. But this, this is something different. This is the next level. Wow. He's so much more amazing than they could ever think. This God, three in one, bigger than we could ever imagine as we hear the Father's voice again saying, this is my son. As we see the son's beauty clothed in light, as we're enveloped again by the presence of the Spirit, we come to see that Jesus is what it's all about. He's not just another voice competing for attention. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And in the same way that the disciples see Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets represented these foundations of Israel's history and come to see that really they don't hold a candle to Jesus. So too are we invited to come and see that Jesus isn't just another voice. He's not just another tweeter. He's not just another entry on our Facebook feeds. He's all in all. God wants us to go up the mountain and see that afresh. But coupled with that is the lesson that we're not meant to stay up the mountain. Um, And Peter, uh, bless him, shows us exactly why that's the case. Um, And so presented with this wonderful vision, a glorified Jesus, accompanied by two of these key figures from the Old Testament, he suddenly uh, blurts out, it's good to be here, Let's put up three shelters, one for each of you. The poor guy at this point is not even worried about his own tent. Like He's happy to sleep on the ground. He just wants to help out and do whatever he can. Um, And Mark, I think, takes pity on him in that moment, uh, writing the story, uh, and adds that little bit in brackets. uh, He didn't know what to say. Um, But at the same time, I think we can learn quite a lot from Peter's reaction. Because Peter's right, it is good to be together. It's good to see Jesus afresh. It's a good moment, but it's a wrong response. He's so full of energy. He says the first thing that pops into his head, offering to make shelters. And it doesn't really matter to him that in those days, making tents um, is hard work. Unlike for our youth youth at New Day, um, who I understand arrived and found that Adrian and his dedicated team of helpers had already kindly put up all of their tents for them. Um, They didn't have anything like that in those days. In fact, what Peter's offering here needs materials. And so either he's about to start chopping down some trees um, for structure and support, Uh, he's about to start hunting some wild animals um, to use the skins to make the side of the tents, that's how they did it in those days, I can't quite imagine Adrian hunting the plains of Norfolk for some animals to put up your tents for New Day. That's probably not going to happen, although it's a nice image to see. So Peter's either about to start doing that, or he's volunteering to run all the way down to the bottom of the mountain to collect the materials, what they need, and then run all the way back up again. So when he says, let's just stay here, that's not a small thing. It's not something they can do simply and easily straight away. It's a commitment to a big effort 
in order to stay where they are. And that's where the problem is. See, Peter's thought process is, A, it's good to be here. B, life is hard. In the passage just before this one, we see Jesus predicting his death, saying that a life following him is a life we have to take up your cross. Life is hard. And so A plus B, let's just stay here. But that's not what it's all about. Uh, Matthew's account of this event uh, says, while he was still speaking, while Peter is still rambling on, um, the father speaks and he says, listen, listen, this is my beloved son. And then we get that beautiful line, suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. They no longer saw anyone only Jesus. Suddenly, everything else fades away. The experience they have wasn't just for the sake of experience. It was in order that they might see Jesus again. That they might see him glorified. That they might have their perspective enlarged as to who he is and what he can do. That they might draw near again to hear his voice. And that's why going up the mountain is good, but it's also why staying up the mountain is bad. Experiences like the disciples had, like we can have at different points, are not where we're meant to live most of our lives. In fact, only three of the disciples even get to experience this at all. We're not meant to search after experience. We're meant to seek after Jesus in order that he might come and fill our gaze again. We go there in order that we might come back again. And for each of us, we have uh, different things that are lying at the bottom of the mountain. Sometimes they can seem relatively small. Sometimes they can be pretty big. Uh, for me, uh, this week, my bottom of the mountain experience was on Wednesday. Uh, some of you will know that for the last year or so, I've been struggling with uh, a problem in my foot, um, with some of the bones not quite working how they're supposed to. Uh, and that's been making it quite difficult for me to run uh, or to play football, which are two things that I love to do. Uh, and on Wednesday, I had an appointment, the conclusion from which was basically, um, we've tried everything we can try, uh, and it hasn't really got better. And so the likelihood is that you might never be able to run again or play football again without pain. So it's not impossible to do. It's just going to hurt a bit. Uh, and some of you are at this point are thinking, wait, you're supposed to run without pain anyway? Like, is that meant to happen? How do you do that? Um, and yeah, kind of good pain and bad pain, all kind of different stuff. Uh, and I know I'm probably never going to catch Will or Johnny anyway. Um, it's unlikely that uh, England are going to call me up, as I used to dream about when I was playing in my back garden. Um, but there's still things I love to do, uh, which are going to be difficult, not impossible, uh, but difficult to do in the future. That's kind of a bottom of the mountain moment. It's when the reality of life at the bottom of the mountain hits home. And it's times like that when we can be tempted to try and escape back up the mountain again, 
to hide out in a place um, without pain or sickness or injury, without disputes or disagreements or controversy. But as we see in the passage, there are some very good reasons for coming down the mountain again. And so uh, when Jesus and the disciples return, what they find is a little boy and something that's ruining his life. And I haven't got time this morning to get into kind of spirits and powers and all that kind of stuff. Um, but what's really clear is that here is someone who just desperately, desperately needs Jesus. A boy whose dad comes and falls at Jesus' feet and begs him to help. A boy who falls into fire and water with life-threatening consequences often, often. I'm not a parent, but I imagine if that happened to your child once, they fell into fire or water with life-threatening way once, that'd be bad enough. But this is something that's happening often. This is a boy who will have physical scars, who will have emotional scars. You can't even speak to express what he's feeling. It's an awful situation. And now imagine for a moment that you are that dad at the bottom of the mountain. And you could somehow see up to the top of the mountain all the events that we've just been looking at. You could somehow hear Jesus, the Son of God, the one who could fix your son's problems, the one who could heal him of this thing that's been tormenting him. And you could hear him in a conversation with Peter, deciding whether or not to stay up the mountain. You could hear Peter offering to do whatever it takes to keep them up there longer. How would you feel? Would you call it good? Having seen and heard all that happened, would you come to the conclusion, like Peter did, that what the world really needed was Jesus and a couple of friends camping up a mountain? And the other nine disciples had all tried to help, and they had all failed. They'd actually made the same mistake as Peter, just in the opposite way. They'd seen their position in isolation. They'd allowed their experience of what was happening to become all that they could see. Peter, at the top of the mountain, was so thrilled by what he was seeing, he just wanted to stay there. The disciples at the bottom of the mountain were so disheartened, they thought they couldn't do anything without Jesus there. They lost faith. They started arguing with the crowds instead. And all the while, there's this boy suffering and his dad distraught. There's a very good reason for coming down the mountain. Because as they do, we see that the whole point of the mountaintop experience is that it's for the reality at the bottom of the mountain. We see Jesus, full of kindness and compassion, responding to the Father's prayer, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. We see Jesus bringing healing and freedom and wholeness to that awful situation. We see his explanation. This kind can only come out 
by prayer. There's something about the experience at the top of the mountain that enables him to meet the needs of those at the bottom. There are good reasons for coming down the mountain. There are good reasons why as a community, we don't just hang out in a cinema all day, every day, and do this. So how do we live it out in the same way as Jesus? How do we come down the mountain well? How do we go from a day like this, enjoying a fantastic time of worship, as we did earlier, hearing God speak in so many different ways? How do we come back well uh, from a festival when God just seems so close, or a holiday where we feel so rested? Well, I think we come down full of faith in God for the mission and the adventure that he's called us to. This, this year as a church, we're looking at the word adventure. We've been looking at what that means uh, in a journey, looking at what it means in the city, but looking at what it means uh, in well-being um, for us individually and as a community. We know that at the bottom of the mountain, there's sickness and sin and sorrow. And so we can either trudge down the mountain, thinking about how bad it is and how bad it's going to be, or we can run down, eyes wide open, hearts full of faith, with a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. We come with faith, because at the bottom of the mountain are people who need us to have faith in Jesus. And Jesus' problem with the disciples at the bottom of the mountain is their little faith, it's their unbelief. And he's disappointed. What had they been putting their faith in if it wasn't him? And yet, at this point, he's, he's not calling them to have massive faith, as great as that is. Of course, we want to be growing in faith. But this isn't a call to massive faith. Jesus isn't saying, why can't your faith be bigger? He's saying, why can't your tiny little faith be in me? All you need, says Jesus, is faith as small as a mustard seed, and you can move a mountain as long as it's in the right place, as long as it's in me. We don't need to have it all sorted. We just need to be those who, like the father in the story, come to Jesus and say, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And the series on well-being that we've just finished as a church is all about that. It's all about coming to Jesus and laying down every area of our lives, every part of our being, and asking him to come and meet us in that place. Whether life's going well or whether we're finding it a struggle. In order that we might come to know that well-being and hold it out to those around us at the bottom of the mountain. And if you've missed a few of those weeks, I'd really encourage you to get online um, to www.theoasischurch.com. Uh, you'll find recordings and notes and kind of application questions and all that stuff on there. Um, and catch up with those because it will do you good and it will equip you to be able to share that good with those around you. And so as I finish, um, I just want to give us five ways that we can do that, five ways that we can apply everything we've been looking at together over the last 
few months. And so the first thing is to be present. Be present. Uh, for some of us, this is all that we can do. It's all that we can do right now to just be around. And that's okay. Keep coming up the mountain. Keep seeking an encounter with Jesus. Keep allowing him to meet you where you are and fill your gaze again. But at the same time, keep living life at the bottom of the mountain. Keep being honest about the reality of what that's like. And do it knowing that Jesus is with you in it. He didn't want to stay up the top of the mountain because he knew he needed to meet people at the bottom. So stay close. The second thing, be practicing. Don't sit still. Practice the stuff. Look after your mental and spiritual and relational and emotional and physical well-being. Find people who will help you to do that. Whether that's individual friends or people in a small group, find people who will ask you the questions which are sometimes uncomfortable about how you're doing. Invest in things, invest in relationships and resources, in building good habits. They're going to help you grow. Be practicing in order that you might be prepared. Mike told us that story just last week of an encounter that he had on a train where um, in the most normal of places, he suddenly found an opportunity to offer comfort to someone who needed it. You never know when God is going to put someone in your path who desperately needs to know something of that well-being that we're called to live with. The Bible says that we are always, uh, we are to be always ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Um, so be prepared. Um, but at the same time, recognize that we're going to have to be persistent as well. Don't be discouraged if it doesn't all happen overnight. Uh, Jim Elliott, who is a missionary in Ecuador, uh, wrote, wherever you are, be all there. Look around you in every situation. At work, be all there. Give everything of yourself to that. At school, be all there. In your recovery, be all there. In your studies, be all there. At the shop, at the train station, at the garage, be all there. Give God every opportunity to move in every moment. You know, Jesus invested his whole life um, in a relatively small region amongst a group of people probably not that much bigger than the population of Birmingham. Imagine what we can do. Keep going. God is with you. And finally, be praying. As a church, as individuals, uh, we want to be both pragmatic and charismatic. We want to learn together what it is to live life to the full in every area of our lives and to resource one another to be able to do that really well, to reveal it wherever we've been uniquely placed. But we also know it's not about a list of things that we do. It's about God working in us and through us by his spirit. And so we keep seeking God for ourselves, for one another, for those around us, for our nation, 
our city, for the nations of the world. There's so much going on in the world today that desperately needs our prayer, that desperately needs God to move. We have that unique opportunity to seek God, to stand in the gap and say, Lord, here I am. Use me in whatever way you can to bring your kingdom in this moment. And as we close, um, I just want to pray for us. Uh, We've got a little bit of time uh, this morning that we can give um, to that, which is really handy. Um, I know that for different ones of us here today, we'll feel like we're at different points of the journey, different points of the story, different points of the adventure. Some of us right now feel like we're at the top of the mountain, like it's all going great, like God is so close. Others feel like we're at the bottom, like the reality of life is is setting in. Um, Other of us feel like we were at the top of the mountain and the closer it gets to Monday, the closer we get to the bottom of the mountain. The message is that Jesus is with us wherever we are. It's going to be hard, but Jesus can do the impossible. All things are possible for those who believe. He's the one who's bigger than we can imagine. He's the one who sets free the captives. He is our brother. He's our friend. He's our savior. And he's our Lord. And he's with us. And so as we go out from this place, um, as we go out knowing that he cares about the places where he's sending us, that every ordinary moment is a moment for the extraordinary one who is within us to work in and through us. And so we go out full of faith, full of hope for what he can do and what he's going to do. And so why don't we stand together? You might want to hold your hands out in front of you, not as kind of a a spiritual or um, anything like that, just as a way of saying to God as a symbol um, with our bodies, I'm here, Lord. I'm ready to receive from you. Um, I want to pray in this moment, particularly for those who um, feel like they're at the bottom of the mountain uh, and Jesus feels like he's a long way away at the moment that's you we'd love to pray for you afterwards Um, so we come Lord Jesus we say we recognize who you are we choose to allow you to fill our gaze to alter our perspective again Lord we're seeking you for that mountaintop moment when suddenly you're revealed afresh in our mind's eye as the one that you truly are the king of kings the lord of lords the one who flung stars into space by the power of his word we're saying Lord come and fill our gaze again with a renewed sense of who you are and what you want to do in and through us And we say, Lord, as we come down the mountain, as we go out into all the places that you've uniquely placed us this week, whether we're at work, whether we're on holiday, 
um, whether we're taking a break from things, whether we're in recovery. Lord, we know that you go with us. The one who brings freedom and healing and wholeness is with us and in us in those moments. And Lord, we choose in this moment to put our tiny little mustard seed of faith in you. We put it in you, Lord. And we say, have your way. Increase in our hearts, even as we decrease. Lord, come and fill us again. Come and equip us to go out, empowered by you, to live extraordinary lives of faith in the ordinary moments of life. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.